0: Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money-off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash Ways. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, Ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co.
1: Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium
2: fries with one dollar minimum purchase. Bada one time on Fridays at participating medals through twelve thirty one twenty-four. Excludes tax must update to rewards.
0: Alarm! Alarm! Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, James Holland and Jim. Let's get to it because we've an amazingly special guest. It's good to have yep. him back, but um, he's since we last spoke, as we were just saying before we got started, a great deal has happened. So who are we talking to today, James?
1: Well, great friend of the show. It's John Orloff. And, um, you know, writer of two of the most iconic episodes of Band of Brothers ever and and writer of everything on Masters of the Air. Almost. Now, just about right. Almost everything, <laughs> but anyway, lead writer, kind of you know, number number top dog on the writing front, well, um, generally there air air for the himself, whole thing, as it were. <laughs> yeah, the master of the the master of the air, and um, and John, it's great to see you, and great to have you back on on the on the show. Thank you. It's for so on. it's
2: a so great to be back, and b just so you know, this is my my first interview and first podcast on four masters of the air, so. Uh, who better to start this with than you guys? Well, well how about that? You,
1: you flatter us. That's amazing. <laughs> and and what's brilliant is is um I don't know whether we're recording this at the moment or not, but um, from a film point of view, but in the background of your office, there are stands of B-17 models in formation. There's also a rapier, a 17th century rapier, um, but there's also an RAF sector clock. There's another model of a B-17. Yeah,
2: you didn't see. get the flashlight, the flashlight next to the B-17. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, oh, there's yeah. a flashlight yeah. there as well. And I remember, John, we were we you were in the you were getting near to the end of the filming when you and I had supper in Windsor, where you were yes. staying because it was kind of it was a lovely spot for you, but it was also co- close to where you were filming it all. Mm. And I remember you showed me a stack of photographs of the kind of attention to detail that was yeah. put in place. You know, from the right type of bottles behind the bar and and the kind of the typewriter with an accurate memo in the typewriter and so on yeah. and so forth. I mean it was just amazing.
2: We took um an immense amount of pride in in getting details right. And what is amazing is an amazingly large amount of people worked on this show. I mean <laughs> I'm not exaggerating when I say thousands. That's not an exaggeration. Right. And so there's a lot of people working on this thing trying to get it right and trying to get all of those details, right? Yeah, And particularly the art department and the effects department. Um, I sort of think as, as both of those guys, uh, they were men who, who ran those departments, Steven Rosenbaum on the effects and, and this wonderful guy, Chris Seegers, a Brit on the, um, the art direction and sets and, and um, design of the whole show. And I think of these two guys as my co- co-writers as well right. uh, because their dedication to telling the story, like, like literally telling the story, which is writing, right, uh, and getting it correct was amazing. And I'll just give you a couple of, of good um, examples to get us started. So you'll see in the show that, that there's quite a lot of aerial combat um, uh, the show is, is really about aerial combat. But what's interesting is like, for example, there's a shot in the trailer of the B-17s and, and the camera's kind of looking down on them and they're headed yes. on a, they, they're on their bomb run, I think. Hmm. And a couple of things about that one shot. One is every single plane will be tracked for the whole mission by the special effects team. So when we make a formation in the show, say, like these, these planes yeah. in formation,
1: yeah. we yeah.
2: track every single one, so we know that's, uh, on Trondheim, that's Crosby's plane, that one is, is Biddick's plane, that right. one is Clevin's plane, and they Thank were God. color-coded during post-production. So when you saw an unfinished special effect, oh, that red one, is the first element of the 418th.
0: The yellow
2: planes (laughs) are the second element of the 350th. And that's important because there are characters in those elements that we're tracking that are in this sequence. But that's the kind of like any time or another thing, anytime you see a plane hit by a rocket, oh, it was hit by a rocket. (laughs) That's not a random thing when you see a rocket in our show. They were hit by rockets, and in that whatever particular time you see a rocket hitting a B seventeen, that's what happened to that particular B seventeen in that particular mission. And we do that in real life. What what really happened yes. back in yeah. you know August forty
1: three yeah. or whatever it might be
2: depends on the depends on the uh, battle sequence. You, you know, we have more than one in the show, so um, we we have. Um, You know, rockets were actually used quite a bit by the Germans and and play so either uh, ground to air, which they also did, uh, but they also did obviously air to air, and uh, it was actually quite effective. Um, So and and we only use it when it happened, when I find it in the research. You know, it's an
1: incredibly
2: that's
0: amazing, Amazing.
2: that's absolutely amazing, amazing.
0: John. John, John, is it finished, or is there a computer still grinding away? Doing finishing it's it's
2: ninety nine point nine 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 percent finished. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty finished, um, and we're just super excited uh, about uh, it. It's. Uh,
1: a thought that's just occurred to me, which is on the off chance that anyone listening to this doesn't know what we're talking about, which seems <laughs> I admit it seems absolutely incredible. Your,
2: your your fan base in particular would would,
1: yeah. would hopefully know what this Do is. Do you think yeah. we should just very briefly, in literally thirty seconds, just explain what we're talking
0: about? Do the elevator pitch, John?
2: Yeah, well, the the elevator pitch is uh, uh, as you kindly said in the introduction. I wrote a couple of the episodes of Band of Brothers, which the greatest experience of of my life. And about 10 years ago, Tom Hanks asked me to be a part of Masters of the Air, only only write a couple of episodes, which is a follow-up of Band of Brothers and The Pacific, sort of the third in a trilogy of Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and Gary Getzman exploring... uh, World War II and the real stories of, of World War II. And uh, yeah, so this is the third one. And, and it took a, a little bit longer to make. It's a little more complicated than the others. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we're finally done. And it's coming on Apple Plus January 26th.
1: Yes. And and for those who don't know, for those who don't know, this follows the, um, uh, It's it's based on Don Miller's book, which was originally called, I think, The Mighty Eighth. um, No, it wasn't. It was
2: always called Masters of the Air. And then there was a weird internet rumor that our show was going to be called The Mighty Eighth, which it never was, because some other people made like a trailer to a B-17 movie like on spec. They made like a spec trailer. And it was on the internet as The
1: Mighty Eighth. And from that moment on, people thought that was us. I think maybe it's because because my edition is definitely the mighty ape and oh uh, is it a some, UK some, thing some such maybe it's a UK thing anyway it, it's written by 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 Don Miller and he covers the whole of the experience of the Ape Air Force but I am I'm, I'm right in saying that you're following the Hundredth of Bond Group aren't you
2: yes yeah so Don's book is is fantastic and I I can't recommend it enough but but it's a, a broader examination of the American experience. Uh, on the daylight bombing of Germany from the Eighth Army Air Force, which was based in England. And it's, it's kind of overall. I mean, it even gets into the history of the Norden bomb site and where the idea for daylight bombing even came from. And it, it, it follows fighter pilots and all sorts of other people. But part of it, in telling the story of what it was like to be in, in a bomber crew, Um, Don focuses indeed on the 100th Bomber Group, which was this amazing uh, group that earned, I'm not sure earned is the right word, uh, got the nickname of the bloody 100th because they happened to go on a couple of missions that were the worst that anybody ever went on. Uh, in terms of casualty rates. They didn't suffer the absolute worst casualty rates of, of the bomber group, but they almost did, and certain missions were just horrible. On one mission to Berlin, they lost uh, 15 planes on one mission. That's, uh, 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 15 planes, you kind of say, oh, 15 planes, that's kind of a lot, right? And then I, I was talking to Tom Hanks years ago about trying to convey what that actually meant. Well, each one of these planes, 15 planes, each one has 10 guys on it. That one mission, we lost all of Easy Company. One mission, 150 guys go down. That's how many people were in Easy Company, is 150 guys. So they're losing that many people mission to mission. And they had other missions where they lost 12, they lost 14, yep. they lost 10, yep. they lost 9, you know, I, I will say Well it this. was that terrible
1: week in October nineteen forty three, wasn't there? That's, which culminates in Broad Thursday, 100th. which is yeah, yeah,
2: and, 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 Yeah, that killed the hundredth. Um, so when, when the hundredth arrives in in East Anglia, in a small town called Thorpe uh, Abbotts, south of Norfolk, uh, when they arrived in June of forty three, they arrived with thirty-six B seventeens, three hundred and sixty air crewmen. By October of 43, 12 weeks later, something like that, thirty-four of the thirty-six have been shot down. Jesus Christ.
0: I mean, pardon my I mean that, that and how is, do you get
2: into the plane the next day?
0: Well, this is the this is the this is the question. And and John, we've been we've been talking about actually this round this idea, this issue, the question. How do you persuade someone to get in a in a in a plane when that's what's going on, how on earth do you do it? What, what what do you say to people? How do you how do you GM along? I mean, what do you offer them? It's
2: it's well they, that was a problem, right? It became a yeah. problem originally. There was no uh, mission count, right? Originally, there was no assumption. You would just keep on flying until you died. And then they realized that was a bad idea. So they did 25 missions, right? If, if you flew 25 missions, you could get home. Uh, that's in 43. The The tough thing was the average mission life was 11. No planes were making it past 11. So no crews were making it past 11. So uh, that was really, really difficult. Because you knew by the summer of 43, if you were an American air crewman, you were smart enough to realize not a lot of planes were coming home and uh, coming back from missions. And it soon became apparent that that 11 was the number, uh, that if you made it over 11, you were now totally against the odds uh, and you had to fly 25. Um, how they did it, I I, I don't know. We, we examined that a little bit in the show. You know, everybody had their own ways. Some guys didn't, you know, some guys did break down. I don't know. Uh,
1: I, I remember know. reading the story of the uh, from the 381st, which was at Ridgewell, so not a million miles away from from, um, from Fort but it's a little bit further away because I think it was in North Essex just. Um, but anyway, um, I remember the first crew to reach, I think it was 25 missions, they were on the 24th, took off for the 25th, and crashed into wood. It
2: happened all at the time. time.
1: Ago. Ha- everyone killed.
2: Happened all the time. It's actually, well, I I I, I don't want to give any spoilers of the show, but, but these issues do come up in the show, you know? Yeah. The men were really, really angry in March of 44 when the American brass upped the mission count from 25 to 30. Yeah. And so had you been on mission 23 and you thought you only had two more missions to go— Au contraire. Yeah. Um, that's you tough, know, isn't it? It's tough. And then it went up to 35. By uh, the end of 44,
1: you had to fly 35 missions. It wasn't quite as dangerous by then, though, was it? Was it was not as, was as
2: dangerous, obviously, by then. No, absolutely. The the longer the war goes on.
1: The second half of 1943, that is the horror six months, to beat it's all It's really until
2: right before D-Day. Yeah. You know, when the mission changes. So So the mission in 43... And early 44 is to destroy. Well, very first mission is to destroy the sub pens, right? Because it's it's early 43. We're trying to get stuff over to England, uh, and and the subs are just killing us, right? So the first thing they're trying to do is destroy the sub pens in Bremen and in Norway. Uh, then it sort of turns into a larger target of just industrialization of the Ruhr. Valley and factories and really just factories, not not trains quite so much in 43. And then um, in 44, it goes to the Luftwaffe as the target. And the idea is in early 44, the, the strategy changes to B-17s and B-24s as bait to get the Luftwaffe into the air to destroy the Luftwaffe so D-Day can happen. And so and once that works, and it does, uh, the Luftwaffe still exists, obviously, post-D-Day, but as a much less significant fighting machine. And we, the Americans, can then have a much more significant air presence and, as a result, much less wounded and killed men.
0: But but if you're if you're bait and your number of missions has gone up that that, that, that must be great for morale. I mean they they know they know, they know their bait, right? Really, don't they? You know, not, this is all quite a hard sell if you're the if you're the um, if you're the air crew, isn't it?
2: Which makes a man like Robert Rosenthal all the more amazing. And we call, his nickname was Rosie for obvious reasons, Robert Rosenthal. And Rosie is, is, I've written about a lot of guys. I've written about a lot of amazing men who served in the war. And he is, he is up there with any of them, including Dick Winners. Um, so Rosie, his, his story is amazing. So um, Pearl Harbor happens in America. Rosie uh, had grown up in, in New York, Brooklyn, Jewish, Ro- Rosenthal. And he made his mom real happy, became a lawyer. He's 22 years old when Pearl Harbor happens. He joins up uh, because uh, to fly a B-17 or a B-24 you had to, they were usually college students who, who were the, in the nose. The pilot, co-pilot, uh, bombardier, navigator tended to all be college graduates. And uh, so Rosie volunteered, became a pilot, And he spent the first year of the war flying B-17s over Texas for gunnery training for gunners. But when he did that, he put up so many hours in a B-17. He could fly a B-17 like very few human beings could fly a B-17. So he ends up in England in September of 43, and he goes on some really hairy missions that I'm not going to detail because you might want to watch a little show called Masters of the Air. <laughs> but he, he does his 25 missions, and he finishes his 25th mission right around the time I'm talking about of March 44, right before D-Day. And what does this guy do? He re-ups. The job's not done. So he re-ups, commits to another 30, because they upped the, the number to 30. And so he's now committed to 55 missions. He gets shot down on his 52nd mission over, wow. uh, o- over Russia. And I'm not going to But gonna he survives, explain. doesn't he? he? Yes, he does. Yeah, he survives. And not only does he survive, he goes home after the end of the war and goes back to being a lawyer. And then he volunteers to serve as a lawyer on the Nuremberg Trials. And he's actually on the prosecution of Herman Garing. He interviews Herman Garing, and is is part of the prosecution of Herman Garing. That's, that's amazing, an American
0: story, right? That, that, right there. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. absolutely. Well, I, I,
1: I would suggest that he's about to get a little bit better known um, <laughs> yes. than, than he was. <laughs> yes. But there's some other some there's yes. some other great characters from Babbits oh. and from the Hunt well, Under BG. So, yeah. Buck mean, and Bucky are these two guys it. played
2: by Austin Butler and um, Callum Turner, and these were two real guys also. They have a totally different story because they're an earlier generation. They're actually before the war generation. So, I don't know about the UK, but in America, you know, there was all the barnstorming and yeah, there's yeah. this romanticism about flying a plane because it's like the late 30s and planes are really new, right? And not just anybody can get in an airplane. And so these two guys, it's the Depression, and they join the U.S. Army Air Corps in 1940, the beginning of 1940, almost two years before America enters the war. And they become pilots. And because they've been in the Army for so long, by the time our story starts in, in 1943, They're both majors, and they both are um, squadron commanders of six to eight planes each, and they're best friends, though. They met each other at cadet pilot training, and they end up being best friends for the rest of their lives, very much like uh, Dick Winters and Lewis Nixon did for their whole lives, or Babe Heffrin and Garnier were best friends for their whole lives. Egan and Cleven were... Were amazing, amazing guys, and their friendship is is the core of the show. Uh, and then our, our third, our fourth, really main character is a guy named Harry Crosby, who is a navigator for the Hundredth, and he really was the worst navigator in the Hundredth. And by the end of the war, he is the group navigator. He is the head navigator of the group. And he's literally the only guy. Remember how I said there were 36 airplanes that arrived in 43? So he was a, a navigator on one of those planes. And he's the only guy from those original 36 planes that's still in the hundreds by VE day.
1: Yeah, amazing. And I, I remember from, from doing Big Week stuff that I, I seem to remember he had an autobiography, didn't he? That he Yes, that yeah, was, yeah, was, a was, memoir. Was, was pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. So so you so you're not pulling your punches and and you're showing it presumably kind of in graphic detail and warts and all and yep. all the losses and the the scale of it.
2: Yes, it th- this show is about scale. When when um I first read the book and Tom first asked me to take it on, um which was 10 years ago. This has been 10 years in the making. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The first thing I talked about was scale. You know, the, the 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 we didn't just want to do Band of Brothers in the air uh, because we'd already kind of made Band of Brothers, right? Uh, Band of Brothers is its own thing; it, it's its own thematic thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful, lovely, amazing thing, and we wanted to make something else. And one of the things that that was was the most important thing was scale because the air war is the tip of the spear of American industrial power. So so when we start this show and we see the first mission, I think maybe we see 30 planes in the air, something like that, 40 planes in the air, maybe, if that. By the end of the show... there's like thousands of airplanes in the air. You know, a a mission to Moscow. I mean, I'm sorry, a mission to Berlin in early 45. You've got 1,200 bombers, 400 P-51s escorting them. It would take three hours for them to go over Berlin. It would take three hours for for the first plane to the last plane bombing Berlin. That's how many airplanes there were. And... That's never really been told. As wonderful as Memphis Belle is, as wonderful as Twelve O'Clock High is, you, there was not the technology or or the the reason to try to explain the actual scale of
1: the right. air war.
2: And and Don's book is so much about that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and, and the sketch. I mean, like all aspects of the of of America in the Second World War. The the. the the growth is so exponential it's it's so rapid yeah. it's it's so hard to get your head around i mean you know when 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 the eighth air force first turns up in 19 in whenever in june july 1942
2: they're there in fall of 42 just but like a dozen or two dozen right
1: countries. and then and then most of them get siphoned off to the mediterranean for yeah. tunisia and stuff right so, they don't really get going until the kind of summer of 1943. But even then, you know, right. you're talking about, I mean, you know, what's the, the first Schweinfurt raid, 315 aircraft, 60 And don't that, was come a, back. that was a
2: big fucking deal getting 350 airplanes in the year.
1: Right. Excuse my.
2: Excuse my. No, uh, but, uh, my, but this my is my
1: point to go from kind of, you know, a handful in 1942 to 315 in August. And
2: then six months later, they're up to 600, 700, yes. 800. Yes. And then six months after that, it's 1,500.
1: When you consider the losses that are going on, in, you know, concurrently with the growth, it is, it's just mind-blowing. And if you think about, about what has to go into sort of creating, a, a, you know, these airfields, they're like a small little village. You know, before you know where you are, you know, Fort Pappas is this tiny little village in, in southern Norfolk with its little sort of flintstone church, and it's all very quaint and everything. Suddenly on its periphery, you've got, thousands of Americans. Three because, to four thousand. Three right. to four thousand. And you've got all the infrastructure that involves and the vehicles and the concert huts and you know mail, barbershops. shops, oh, was a like, little village on itself. Right, because a village is sort of six hundred people, seven hundred people, mm-hmm. then suddenly you've got three to four thousand Americans kind of on your doorstep. It's it's the, the social change is absolutely huge. But, but this is being repeated all over this part of the world. So it's, it's you know, Four right. Papas is, is, a, is a sort of, you know, a leitmotif for the kind of the, the bigger experience, obviously. And, and these, all these stories are. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing all those photos that you showed me, John, and the, the, the attention to detail was absolutely incredible. Well, the other thing I remember was this huge, I don't know whether it was a barn or a warehouse or something, just full of uniforms.
2: Yes. <laughs> we had, you know, I, I, I neglected to mention one of, one of the other great um, sort of uh, production people, which was Colleen Atwood, our, our wardrobe uh, woman, who uh, just went into such detail. Uh, everything was just amazing. Uh, yeah, we had a warehouse again. The scale—it's—it's it's hard to express the scale of the show because we
0: have to then express the scale of the Eighth Air Force exactly. in a TV production. So how exactly. do you do that?
2: So it's one thing to talk about it.
0: Yeah, so you're the tip of the spear of what uh, an American TV industry can produce then, as, sort of analogous <laughs> but, with the uh, yeah, Right, Air but Force. so
2: then Colleen had to make, you know, at one point I asked her, I was like, Colleen, Colleen how, many, how many wardrobe fittings did you do? She said, I stopped counting at 3,000. Oh, my God. So that, you know, there were more than 3,000 people dressed in this show. So because, you know, when the show isn't just... I mean, again, I, 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 it's hard to talk about how big the show is without you seeing it. Because we start, you know, at Thorpe Abbott's and there's, like I said, a 3,000 3, people working there and we go on these missions with 70 missions. By the end, um, you know, we see all those all those the planes and stuff, but also some of our guys have been shot down and they might be... Behind enemy lines and they might be on a march in the middle of January, February and that uh, 45 and that was a moment in history where more people were on the road in Europe than any other time. So the Russians are, are heading west, taking all the land are re-stealing in some ways all the land that the Germans had stole in 3940. But remember, all the Germans, the reason they stole Poland was so the Germans could live there. So now all the Germans who are living in Poland don't want to be in Poland because the Russians are taking over Poland. So they're all running back to Germany, right? Then you have the hunk. I mean, it's so there are thousands of people on the march all over Europe. Civilians, armies, POWs, and maybe we're going to see some of that, you know. But the Russian army—we, we, we—it's we, just a lot of people in this
0: show. Do you, how many episodes is it? Is it ten episodes? It's nine. It's, it's nine, nine. But could could there have yeah. been eighteen? Is it been a containing the story? Yes. Is that yeah. Thing? Yeah. Oh, there okay. was
2: a moment where I was just, oh my god, this should be four seasons, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, because, you know, there's so many. Here's the thing. Also, there are f- so many amazing people in the hundredth. And, and we are only really talking about a couple dozen. You know, yeah. there are so many other amazing pilots above and beyond the guys that we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this guy, Cowboy Sloan, and there's Lucky Luckadoo. And yes, well, we, we, we interviewed Lucky the other day. Lucky is just an amazing, amazing human being. Uh, yeah. And he's he's actually and, and and actually you know he's one of the few he he was he was not one of the original uh, thirty six crews but he was the second I think man from the hundredth to do twenty five yeah I think
1: he's Day, amazing uh, uh, not
2: Dale Die we have you know obviously Dale Die worked on the show but we all there was a Captain Die yeah I'm blanking on his name right now he was the first guy to make twenty five. On the 100th. And I think Lucky was the
1: second. Lucky had an interesting time because he had this awful crew that he hated. <laughs> yeah. who <yeah, yeah, laughs> yeah. were horrible
0: to him. And, um, yeah, you know, just extraordinary. We'll take a short break and we'll be back to, to talk more Masters of the Air. Um, we'll see you in a tick.
3: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects
1: include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction.
3: Now I can say bye bye to Writer's Block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
0: Welcome back to We Have we Make You Talk. Um, uh, James and I, uh, well, it's just an exclusive, isn't it, Jim? It really is, yeah.
1: How lucky are we? Uh, it really is. <laughs> and, we, and we're getting this kind of sort of glimpse of, of behind the scenes. And, um, I, I mean, John, it just sounds absolutely amazing. What a, what a thing to be a part of. Goodness me.
0: John, I, I, I seem to remember when we spoke to you about Band of Brothers, I mean, and it would have been four years ago, so or, the, or three and a half years ago at the start of the pandemic, Um, You were saying enough Second World War is how you felt at the end of Band of Brothers. I don't want to go near it ever again. Heavens, you know, any more olive drab and I'll go, you know, I'll I'll go crazy. Godfather style. They, once you thought you were out, they dragged you back in.
2: Yeah. Um, And and when I originally committed to it, I I only committed to an episode. Like seriously, what, what happened was, uh, well, all of these shows, you know, the, the, the past two shows had roughly five writers in each show and, it kind of roughly panned out to about two episodes a writer um, on both Band and the Pacific, and that was kind of what we were going to do on this show when they first gave me a ring. the The challenge was um, this was a little different than Band. I can't speak for the Pacific exactly because I didn't work on it. Band of Brothers, the book was obviously about the hundred, uh, about the hundred first, and uh, you know Dick Winters and and it was very clear what the what the show Band of Brothers would be based on that book. Masters of the Air was a little bit trickier and it, it necessitated a lot more research than we needed to do originally with Band of Brothers because not only do we have that excellent book, we also had the guys. I wrote episode two of Band of Brothers, Day of Days, and I could call Dick any time of the day, and say, okay, well, what did you think when this happened? What did you want to do when that happened? What did you... And and he would tell me, you know, and and so would Compton, so would Lipton, so would Malarkey. I had conversations with everybody who was still alive who was at Braycore Manor in 1998 through 2001. And equally, they could inform me about episode nine, which was the other episode I wrote. It was not the same when we got to Masters, because the book is different, and the guys are no longer with us. So... My first job was to really figure out, well, what did our main four characters do for the whole war? Because in the book Mashes of the Air, we see a couple incidents that they took part in. Their their first mission is is talked about in the book, and uh, Regensburg is talked a little bit about in the book. But there what what did they do between August of 43 in Regensburg and uh, June of 43. Uh, I I still need more material, you know. So I ended up taking a one-year research trip into the 100th Bomber Group. And that created this, which is a five, 250-page book about the 100th Bomber Group and 30 sources, 25 no, uh, twenty five sources, five or six hundred footnotes, and when I gave that to Tom and Stephen to read, uh, and they did, and they loved it. Tom sort of said, "I, I think, I think you got to do this. I think you got to write the whole thing. You got to, you know, just write the first three. Let's see where it goes." <laughs> and so. I wrote the first three and he loved it. And he said, all right, keep on going, keep writing. Um, so I just sort of kept on writing. Um, and so that was very different than, than Band. Um, and again, I, I, I dipped back into World War II because I thought I was just be dipping in for six months or a year. Not quite ten years. That was not the <laughs> expectation. Are you, are you, are
0: you, John, are you done with it now? Are you? Are you? Is that it? Or uh, you know, if yes, if, I am. Right, I am okay. done
2: with it. Uh, I am actually done. I think I did like my last bit of business on it like two days ago.
0: But I mean, the Second That's World amazing. War. You done with the Second World War? Are you finished? Oh, the are Second fi-
2: World War. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I've uh, never. I've, <laughs> I have come to understand. I, I didn't. Exp- I, I, I've come to understand that that's just that's just part of why I am writing. I, I you know uh, I didn't know that when I started working on Band of Brothers. I mean, I I knew I loved World War II. I'd been obsessed with it my whole life. I'd seen every World War II movie. You know, studied it. Uh, but I was pretty tired of it after Band. Um, but I keep on coming back to it, and, and I think you come back to, to things for different reasons, I guess, but it is, it is the great human story. I mean, I, I don't want to say of our time anymore because, because it's not, but yeah, I just, it, it's, it's just, it's, and it's so relevant right now in, in particular, as, as we see a world where authoritarianism seems to be on the uptick whether I wanted to or not. It just has sort of informed my <laughs> existence. So even making a movie, uh, an animated 3D movie for Zack Snyder um, with, with talking <laughs> owls that are flying with swords and fighting each other. It's a really fun movie. Uh, the bad guys yeah. are fascists. It's all about fascism. And uh, the parallels are direct and <laughs> intentional. So even when I'm not writing about World War II, Al, I'm yeah, writing yeah. about World War
1: Well, yeah. Al, Al once had a, he once tried to get away from
0: it. Um, yeah, I did. And, I tried to have some uh, some time off. Uh, and it didn't but, work, but it, did it? It just didn't, it, I couldn't do it. It's like, it's like oh, magnetic, empty. it's magnetic north. You know, it's <laughs> it's what I point at, um, yeah. uh, as it were. Um, uh, so, so John, I mean, I, you know, there were various sort of uh, uh, photos of, of, B-17 was within, you know, mocked up B-17s with engines running and all sorts of stuff. I mean, surely there's a a tremendous thrill in um, saying as a writer, because William Goldman famously says, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you write a a movie scene, you say, you know, a thousand horsemen gather on the, on the, hor- uh, on the horizon at dawn and he's like well we you better not put that in your screenplay because that'll never happen so maybe maybe make it a dozen and it doesn't have to be dawn no horses and just you know like pairing it back but but evidently you, to make this you couldn't do that so so is it something else to say you know five three five it was- five b-17s form up on the runway on the stand and then off they go i mean How's that? Dude, four? All right, okay. Oh, no, we have shots
2: of 18 okay, or 20 Sorry,
0: I'm just um, trying to help William Goldman out here. I mean, you, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's an interval. That is, there
2: is a story, of course. You, you've hit on something. So certainly while I was writing, I was told, don't think about budget. What? Don't ever think about budget. <laughs> and... That of course changed, you know, when we went into real production. Yeah. Right. And and there were things that we had to cut or pull back. But but that it was Gary Getzman who was really just write it how it's supposed to be and we'll figure it out. Wow. And most of the time they could, you know. I mean, obviously there are times, you know, <laughs> where some things aren't possible. But but again, the commitment to get it right from Everybody, you know, was, was, was just staggering um, yeah. to see the, the detail, you know. Um, again, we were talking earlier about that shot of, of the planes headed towards the, the IP that you can see in the trailer. Well, that's not just the ground below them. That's Trondheim, Norway. I mean, that's <laughs> the map of Trondheim. I mean, like, if you look at the bay and you look at Google Earth... It's the same, yeah. You know, like the targets aren't just like maps; they're the they're the targets for that mission.
1: That's amazing,
2: you know. Um, and so, yeah, we all just wanted to get it right. And so many people would come up to me and say, you know, they saw a band, you know, the people on the show that that worked on it had seen Band of Brothers and knew like, like that was what we were doing. And it, and it moved
1: people to, to, to give their best. Amazing. I mean, John, I mean, when, when I saw you in Windsor that time, it was, you were getting very close to the end of the filming and, and, I detected a sense that you just weren't sure how you, you thought it was going to be good, but but it's scales of good, and would it be better than Band of and Brothers? You never or, know, you, and you, you never, never know. know. And and you you were you had that kind of you know post match nerves, I would say about about the whole the whole oh, thing. I, I still have them. I mean, not a lot of people have seen it. you, <laughs> no, you have uh, seen it. I, You've seen it, and I and, have. And I've what, seen it. Yes, Many very times. tantalizingly, we we were sent a link to see it all and then didn't and work and they said you know from the pr people and then it didn't <laughs> no. work yeah, yeah. It no yeah yeah oh, this is awful yeah 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 so i yeah. can in do? oh that's but, but you are you pleased with it it sounds like you are.
2: yes it's it's like nothing that's ever been made i mean yeah, i don't know just... i don't know how to sound um, humble when i say that but i am you know um it's not band of brothers and it's not the pacific it's its own thing and everybody has to understand that you know um and yeah, I'm really proud and really excited. And I can't wait for people to see it. it. It it was really hard to make. You know, we were also making it in the middle of COVID. So imagine all the things I was just talking about. And it's the middle of real COVID. Like when I arrived in England, the stores were not open. The restaurant, nothing was open. It was still that time of COVID. If you wanted to buy a pair of shoes, you called up the store and... They left him outside at the door, you know, of their shoe store. You weren't allowed to go in. And we had to make a movie like that, right? So there were 300 people just on our COVID team. Well, that's all they did was COVID. Good. Yeah,
1: that's just amazing. Because every single day I
2: had to get, I had to get COVID tested. Yeah, you were testing every day. Because I couldn't yeah. go onto the set. Yeah, if I, didn't, if, I didn't, if I wasn't healthy, I couldn't go on the set and possibly get other people sick.
1: Yeah, so what a f-
2: We had roughly a thousand to fifteen hundred people work on the show every day. So a thousand to fifteen hundred people had to be tested for COVID every day. So when I talked to you, you know, it was a very intense shoot with a lot of difficulties just logistically because of the scale and making it during those those times, you know. And it was hard. It was a hard shoot. I won't, I won't yeah, lie. Yeah. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's something special. Again, it's, it's, I keep on, nobody has seen anything like this since 1945. God, honestly, I'm
1: so excited about
2: it. You will see imagery and events that no human eyes have seen since 1945, you know, when it was really happening. And, and that's really exciting for me, and the scale you know again band of brothers is a is is uh, is a fantastic piece of filmmaking and it's not about scale it's it's about almost the opposite it's about the intimacy of friendship which is in our show is in masters too it, trust me at its core it's about friendship but a different kind of friendship than in band of brothers and band of brothers was this internal thing about the small group of guys and this is not this is this is about this is about scale and that's the point of this show so i'm super excited about it as long as you don't think it's band of brothers in the sky
1: well john (laughs) i've got to say i mean if if people's appetites aren't whetted by this conversation they're simply never going to be. I mean, <laughs> congratulations. And um, we we are super keen to talk to you again. Yeah. Once Al and I have watched it and we've once got a been billion up. questions to ask you. Yeah. I look
2: forward to it because I know they will be, and I, I guarantee you they will be some of the most interesting questions I will get.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking to John Orloff. Um, we'll see everyone very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye.